0: You're listening to The Elephant Test. We're dedicated to the B2B marketing community and here to explore the practices, thoughts, and ideas of effective B2B marketing executives. Hi, this is Sky Cassidy and Alicia Garvalho. Hi, guys thanks for joining us uh, for the Elephant Test today. Uh, we're joined by Laura Patterson. Uh, she's the president of Vision Edge Marketing and is uh, recognized as one of the pioneers and authorities in marketing performance management. I'm sure we're going to get into a, a lot of that and what marketing performance management is. Uh, Laura, good morning.
1: Hello. Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. So. Thanks you,
1: for being here.
0: Yeah. You have a bachelor of communications and business, and then you went on to get a master's Uh, of communications and marketing from University of South Florida. How did you get from there to business to business marketing? Was that course kind of business focused or or kind of what happened in that area?
1: That's a great question. Boy, I have to kind of go back and reel back in time. So I've always uh, been more interested in business than in other pursuits. I, I dabbled a little bit in some nonprofit and education work. But there is something to be said about Uh, the workings of business, and selling to other businesses. So I guess when you think about being in business, there's the option of um, marketing to the general public. And in my first uh, job in financial services, there was a very large portion of my work was just with everyday people. But then as I became uh, stronger in my skill set, There were a lot more challenges uh, in some ways. I mean, they're both very challenging, but a lot more challenges associated with the consultative complex cell of the B2B world, and I just found that to be very stimulating. We often talk in our company about B2B and B2C a little bit differently uh, than maybe traditionally. One of my jobs in between um, my semesters in graduate school was selling office supplies um, those were in the days before, like, you know, the Office Max and Office Depots and staples of the world.
0: Like the TV show, The Office. That's uh, they, Nobody knows what they sell there, but it's paper. They sell <laughs> <to office. laughs>
1: exactly. Well, I sell paper out of my car along with pens and pencils and rulers and staplers and all of those other things. And, and when you think about selling office supplies to businesses, it's really very much a B2C type of sell. And marketing sure. than it is B2B. So we, we think of, even though I'm selling to other businesses, so yeah. we it's think. Kind of, of a door
0: to door, and you might as well be selling encyclopedias or something like that.
1: Exactly. You have to build relationships with the office manager, and you're basically helping them maintain their inventory, and uh, it's all about being reliable and, and on time delivery and good pricing and, and various things like that. But in the end, it is much more of a B2C uh, sell. It's you know, much more about the now. And it's also doesn't require a, a very des, um, deliberate decision or lots of decision makers. If they make the wrong choice in the color of a pen, it's fixable pretty easily. Right, right. <laughs> and
0: it can make a quick decision. It can be an impulse buy, like kind of like a consumer purchase. You you started working with Motorola at some point. Was that before or after the uh, the office supplies?
1: It was after. So when I left um, graduate school, I ended up working for one of the companies. By the way, I used my. This is kind of give you maybe insight into me. Uh, the reason I took the office supply uh, sell, selling job was so that I could meet companies in the area. And so my first uh, position out of graduate school was sales, marketing, and uh, implementation for a software company in the durable medical equipment industry, which was essentially selling um, an application software, and this is going to really date me, guys, on a weighing 2200 to mom and pops who were going through the transformation of manual to automated processing uh, of their, you know, insurance and other systems. A Wing 2200 is what precisely for the millennial in the room? <laughs> <laughs> a Wing 2200, so Wing was one of the first uh, providers of what was known as um, mid-sized computers that was, could sit on your desk, uh, but were still pretty large. So they were uh, not like a Cray, as big as a Cray, but, but not as small or plug-in as a, uh, an Apple or today's PCs and what you could do on it was probably nowhere near given its size what you could do today on your phone <laughs> but nice. uh, it was right. the, Wayne was one of the forerunners in the age of computing um, there, uh, you probably remember other names similar to it like Atari and others that have long since uh, gone by the wayside. But you guys
0: were playing video games
1: that's what I'm hearing <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah
0: uh, anyway, pong a lot. there's a lot of pong going on in the office. Of okay, problems. I'm getting a picture here. <laughs> was this in Florida? I have to ask. Was this was this job in in South Florida still? It,
1: it was. Yes. Yeah, so okay. um, I ended so up. So You South were in Florida. South
0: Florida in the '80s.
1: I was in the South Florida, the uh, very end of the '70s, early '80s, and working for this company, and footloose and fancy free. And I had managed to uh, secure some business and wins for this company in Texas. And I uh, had a lot of customers in uh, Dallas and Houston and some very good friends in Texas, at Austin, pursuing their PhD. So I had abandoned my pursuit of becoming a teacher and said, I'm done with this education thing and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to work and make some money. <laughs>
0: and so you got a taste of money and you were like, eh, I don't know if I want to be a teacher
1: anymore. <laughs> oh, so, no. so
0: one thing I have to touch on, you were in South Florida in the 80s. I just started watching the show Narcos. And when I saw you were in South Florida in the 80s, I was like, I have to ask her if, if she saw any crazy stuff going on down there w- in the
1: 80s. I was so buried. I'm sure there was – but I was so buried in my graduate work studies, and I was she teaching. was a good girl, Scott. <laughs> I didn't have
0: time. <laughs> You're playing a lot of pong at
1: <laughs> It wasn't time. A- <laughs> I, I didn't have time to to for, from very. I mean, I you know one of the things that was alluring about being in South Florida was I was just a causeway away from the beach, and having come from right. Kirksville, Missouri, where the snow is higher, you know, during the winter is higher than your car. That was really appealing, <sighs> and. I, I can probably count the number of times I made it to the beach in the two years I was in graduate no. school on right. one hand. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I live in L.A. and I almost never go to the beach. And it's like, yeah, hey, we have all the beaches that everybody sees on TV here. But then you got to actually go to them still like you're busy.
1: Yeah, I was really busy. And graduate school oh. was um, – Graduate school is hard. <laughs> graduate school was very um, – Demanding, I think is a good word for it. But I'm glad I did it. Anyway, and so uh, people always ask me, how did I get to Texas? So I'll just um, – I'll give you the punchline to that. I was actually on one of those plane rides, and I met this man. Uh, his name is Carlton Braun. I don't know if he's still around or not. And he was bringing up the university um, – the Motorola University – uh, he worked in Seguin, and he was heading to Chicago, so he was taking a flight out of Austin. I was taking out a flight out of Austin back then, just like today. You couldn't get a direct flight from Austin to just about anywhere, so you had to go <laughs> somewhere else. <laughs> so we were on you our mean way to Italy
0: today because of the floods, or uh...
1: <gasps> no, that's Houston, Austin. No, Austin just, just... A okay. <laughs> no, Austin's just still uh, is challenged to have a lot of direct flights, and it probably has something to do with the fact that we have two uh, world-renowned era. Uh, air- Airport hubs in the state, so I guess it's you know hard to have more than two.
0: They weren't going to do three, yeah. You know. I said sorry,
1: <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I met this man and we were sitting next to each other and we just got acquainted. and uh, He said, You know, we have a little startup uh, part of our business in Austin, and call this guy. He literally gave me his name and number on a piece of paper. He said, Call this guy, I think you know, I think you'd be a great fit for our company, And but honey. Uh, yeah, it just goes to show you the power of connections with people, right? It still really is about people doing I hear business. I've too with many people.
0: stories like that. Too many stories where people are talking to somebody on an airplane, and I'm starting to think I need to do a lot more flying. Yeah. <laughs> talking to whoever's next to me. Were you in first class on the uh, airplane?
2: No, I was not oh, in first okay. class.
0: So you know I always
2: try, try to talk to, talk to the, to the people, people next to me on an airplane. I
0: try to sneak into first class just to talk to somebody important and maybe, you know, have my big break.
1: Yeah. I <laughs> well, I I don't think that uh, I think important people sit everywhere on the plane. <laughs> that's yeah. True. Yeah. Um, but anyway, on one of my trips back to, into the area, I called and left this uh, message for Frank. That was the man's name, Frank Adams. And eventually, we connected, and and that's how I ended up at Motorola. They, he was Carlton was right. They hired me.
0: So right. you'd always had kind of a desire to go into B two B. I feel like a lot of people really want to go into consumer because they see the billboards and it, it just seems so much sexier. But in your mind, you'd, you'd always like B two B a little bit.
1: I did, and I had an opportunity to go to work for Procter and Gamble be- before graduate school. And um, I, uh, m- it was my mentor in in my undergraduate work who said to me, "You can always get a job. Go to graduate school. You're one of the one of the ones I would really like to see go do that. Hmm. There's always there's always okay. a job."
0: They told me you better get a job quick. Don't go to school anymore. <laughs> You're
1: not employable. Yeah. Well, she yeah. – so, well, her, her feelings – uh, well, it, that's a whole other conversation. We'll have to say that for another time on why she was feeling that way. But after having spent a very, very hard winter in Kirksville, the thought of going somewhere else cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, come on now. Think about it. Beach and graduate school or Cold. Right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> right. Trigger, so. And
1: then you moved to Texas. <laughs> in Texas
0: now you're still in Texas, so you basically once you got away from the cold you never went back.
1: Yeah, I'm I am not a fan of, of cold weather. I would uh I am definitely meant for south of the Mason Dixon line. <sighs>
2: It's funny that you uh, moved to Texas after grad school. I went to Texas for grad school in communication and then ran away. So, you know.
0: <laughs> but still, Southern California. Still, means.
2: I still want something warm. Yeah, I was pretty adamant
1: about wanting to move somewhere warm. Well, you picked a good place. Southern California is beautiful <laughs> it is very warm. <laughs> so, one so, yeah, of the B2B, things we B2B wanted B two B is my outside. thing, and it's the thing of our company too. You know, when we founded Vision Edge Marketing. Uh, a little over 18 years ago. So back in 1999, it was with a real focus on, on B2B. Okay, nice.
0: And your company, I've been looking at the, uh, you know, doing a little research here, going through your guys' Twitter feed. You guys put out a lot of content on, you know, B2B marketing.
1: Yes. Uh, we, we try to be thoughtful about our content, and we try to have a, you know, carefully constructed calendar around what we're really trying to do respond to that are respond uh, to and promote but most of our content is actually comes from our customers questions and conversations with our customers and uh, just a, a little story about that so when we started the company and this is in 1999 we didn't have all the social media and we didn't have all all the wonderful cool tools we have today
0: but we did century. have a little
1: extra time <laughs> and one of the th- pardon
0: so last century when you
1: started the company, you are so terrible. <laughs> That's it was true. It was the last century. Um, but when, when when we when we did, um, some of the people we were working with started sending in questions by email. Um, they would just send in little questions, and then we would send an answer back. Just you know, f- friends of the family and people we were working with, so to speak, and and customers we were building relationships with, and. Over the course of a few months, as we got busier and busier with customers, one day I couldn't respond to them one-on-one, so I kind of grouped them all together and created some topics and, and kind of disguised some of the important you know, things that would give, give away or reveal a company or a person. And I, and I really was very apologetic. I said, I'm really, really sorry. I ran out of time this week to give everybody a personal answer. I hope you don't mind, but I put together this um, – Reply with you know the answers to everyone's question, and I sent that out.
0: So you made like a regular FAQ kind of, and then eventually that just naturally transitioned into. Uh, it was
1: just a, just a, yeah, just it wasn't really an FAQ. it was kind of like a Q and A because I hold it, hold that thought for a moment uh, because Sky, you're going to see that how this evolved. So. Then nobody complained about that, and I thought, wow, that was so much easier than having to respond to everybody's every email. Next week, I did the same thing, and then the week after, I did the same thing. And then one day, hmm. I got this email that said, please add me to your tips list. Right. You oh. oh,
0: my God, I think I have a
1: tips list. You're like, I have a tips list, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to know. I, so you know, Barry, uh, my, the person I co-founded the company has long since retired, I, and I was sitting, I said, what? What tips list? And so I, ah. emailed that, I emailed that person back. I said, exactly. I would be happy to do that. What tips list?
0: <laughs> I need to know they said, where they're getting this information. What are they talking about? Yeah. This
1: wasn't somebody that that I had gotten a question from. And so um, he, that person sent a note back and said, the thing you send out every week with all the tips in it. And so lo yeah. and behold, yeah. we, con- we created this thing called tips. And up until very recently – we had a tips archive where all the questions that had come in, and they were they ranged everything about you know can you find a piece of information about how big this market's going to be? I mean any every little thing we had in this database. Uh, we have since killed that because um, first of all it's mammoth, and second of all it just got to, you know to be unruly. So that became right. tips, and eventually tips became our newsletter. And what we still do today is use those questions and queries for our content, so that's what feeds our blog and feeds um, our LinkedIn posts and drives our content are those questions that we get from our customers That's yeah. fantastic. I think it's
2: always great to have your marketing or your content or even your products be driven by what your consumers are are asking for you know so that's good for you
1: guys. <laughs> Yeah, and every now and then I, you get to write about something, you know, that is passionate to me or um, and that's kind of fun. And every now and then I'll be in a conversation. I think we have have a post. I can't even remember. I'll have to ask Molly. I'll have to find it. But we have a very recent post or have one coming out that is based on a coffee conversation around uh, marketing. Oh, it's a, it's called getting why, – why is it marketing in the room? And uh, that's what it's called. And so it's coming out and um, – it's based on having coffee with one of one of my colleagues who said they were invited – there was a strategy meeting for the company, but marketing wasn't invited. And the response was marketing didn't need to be in the room. I agree. So you yeah. mentioned that um, – I mean I
2: don't agree that marketing shouldn't be in the room. I agree. Wow. That's – terrible i'm really interested in reading that but you mentioned there are things that you get to write that are are you're really passionate about what are those things that you're really passionate about
1: aside maybe also <laughs> maybe also <laughs> not being in the room <laughs> well uh, besides that yeah i was i it was really fortunate you know back to sky's point about going to work for motorola i i really thought that was going to be a short stint i remember telling my grandfather that i was leaving the Company I was working for to go to work for Motorola. And he said, What, the people who make the radios and TVs? Yeah, so <laughs> and I said, funny. No, 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 they, I'm going to go work in the semiconductor business. And he goes, What's a semiconductor? <laughs>
0: yeah, why not do a full conductor? That doesn't right. sound
1: like a. Anyway, so um uh, <laughs> I was very fortunate. I stayed there 14 years. Wow. And it was an amazing, an amazing culture, an amazing group of people. It was. Made, huge implications to how I think, how I work, how we do everything in our company. And um, when I left Motorola, uh, I left and went back into financial services and from there back into software before starting up this company. And uh, it was just a tremendous opportunity to work at Motorola in that time. And I had the privilege of working both in sales and marketing ops, marketing communication, product marketing, field marketing, I mean, just tremendous amount of opportunity in that period of time. And so my passion, I I began to realize that I really had a passion for the science side of marketing. I love digging into the data. I I love doing process mapping around marketing. I love the dashboard work. I love the planning um, work and setting performance targets. Yeah, I I enjoy the marketing communications too, but what really drove me was digging into figuring out what would be the right target, right segment, right message. So it's very uh, science side of marketing, and I, I really have a passion for that. It sounds
2: like you really have a full scope for all of the marketing and kind of uh, even maybe bigger than that, full operations level, which is I'd pretty like neat. i to
0: point out that she just pluralized marketing as well. That was impressive. Well, marketing. and again,
1: again, I think that had a lot nice. to do... Uh, you know, we wrote an article in Nimble uh, earlier that ran, I think, the end of last month, earlier this month, and it was on uh, really the return of integrated marketing. You know, we went, we had integrated marketing early in my career. That's we we were all tasked. We had to think from an integrated perspective. Of course, we didn't have the prolific number of channels that we have today, but we still had mm. more than people realize. Then there came a great deal of specialization, right, to marketing. And I think it's it's circling back around. I've started to see more titles for integrated marketing titles, and I've started to uh, see more people in that role. And I I think that's truly amazing. And I th- uh, I think that marketing structures need to be revisited, in, uh as we be- as we go through the transformations um, that marketing is experiencing. It's probably time to take a look at the organizational structure from, from most marketing organizations.
0: So two quick questions. One, when you were at Motorola, did they ever have a general meeting where they didn't include marketing? Never. Never, right. So Motorola is a big company. People listen in, don't have general right. meetings and not include marketing. That's a big mistake. Marketing is
2: pretty important, guys. You know, can't what? put out products that you can't market. <laughs>
0: Hopefully we're speaking to the choir here because uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably – you probably think marketing is kind of a big deal. Uh, second I think question. there's a lot
1: of marketers who are challenged, though, to your point, Sky and Alicia, that um, they feel like they're you know more at the caboose than at the engine. Yeah, yeah.
0: Kind of an afterthought, yeah. But I think that leads to some of the things that you really specialize in. But first, I'm going to tease that, and I'm going to throw in a quick question here. I've, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the proliferation of marketing just capabilities kind of and whether – over your career, do you think it's gotten easier because of all the technologies and everything we have or more difficult?
1: I think, you know, I, I love to tell this little story, and I'm going to share it with you and your audience. Um, when I was a small child, my, uh, my father had a big workshop. He was, um, he was quite the handyman. And I loved uh, having the tools in the workshop. And I had my own little—maybe you might remember these little red tool boxes for kids. Yeah, had, yeah. Does it remember that? And I remember. I, think I still a, have the, one, yeah. Are you sure yours isn't yeah. for the children? I'm pretty sure yours is still the child size guy. <laughs> and and um, one day my my father took me to the hardware store with him. And you have to remember back again back then. We didn't have the Lowe's and Home Depot's we have today. They were local hardware shops. We were in the hardware shop. I mean, it was a big deal if you went to see it, right, to Sears for the Craftsman products, and we would just have just a local hardware shop. And uh, back then also, you kind of just let your kids roam. <laughs> so I'm, oh, yeah. roaming, I'm roaming around. Pockets of nails
0: shop. that you buy by the pound and stuff <laughs> yeah, like that. Just, exactly. I, I remember
1: that, yeah. Yeah, very different world. Yeah. With helpers all around, I mean people all over the store, so he wasn't really worried about anything because there were people in the staffing, as opposed to today. If you you know you walk into one of those big boxes, you could walk several aisles and never find a, a person who's working there.
0: They work camouflage, so you can't find them. on
1: the- <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. that. That that that's helpful to know. That's why um, you're not seeing them, yeah. Anyway, I'm I my father's uh, I, I find my father and I say to him, Daddy, I have just found the neatest tool you've got to see this tool i was just fascinated and what i had found was um i think it was called a bandsaw and, Oh, wow. yeah and i said we have i said we have got to have one of these <laughs> yeah.
0: one of the most dangerous uh tools you could play with yeah
1: yes. and, 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 at least and, it wasn't a chainsaw yeah. <laughs> and i remember my father looking at me and saying That is a really cool tool. I don't think he used the word cool, but that was a basic idea behind what he said. He says, here's the thing about tools. The uh, thing about tools is that you need to know how to use the basic tool really well before you get a fancy tool. Because when you get a fancy tool, remember he's talking to a four- or five-year-old, fancy tool, and you don't know how to do it, use the basic tool really well, then when you use the fancy tool, all that will happen is you can do more damage faster. Meh. meh wow, yeah. okay that's that's some life advice <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh it, it is that hasn't stopped me from collecting some really interesting tools along the way, but the point being, I think that's what happened in, has happened in some instances with marketing. um we have a lot of a lot of people with a lot of fancy tools. I think the last thing I read and in, in the we wrote a LinkedIn article on why so many marketing technology implementations fail, the average company has twenty one tools in their marketing stack. And we know there's thousands of them out there, right, thousands of them. Is, uh, and we have a tendency, you know, to chase shiny toys. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. And so if you don't know how to do the basic, you don't have the basic skills, uh, whether that's basic skills for uh, implementing a campaign or, or putting together an event or right. writing copy, if you don't have the basic tools, then what? then having a fancy tool – Will only let you do more damage faster. Right. So, I don't know so this can... came
0: up uh, once before. My personal, if I could have one marketing superpower, would be to know the the use and capabilities of every marketing technology when it hit the market, as it was out there. Always. So, what if you had one marketing superpower? What would yours be?
1: Oh, that's a uh, well. First all of all, I think that's a, a great bit. superpower. It's a great sc- superpower, Scott, to know every marketing tool. I think my superpower is I think I'm really good at getting marketing to be aligned to a business. Really, really, I have an amazing superpower to see that, those connections and make those connections happen.
0: I thought you were going to say which one you would have. You're saying, no, no, I already am a marketing superhero. She
2: I is a, a superhero. What? She, she has, has a superpower. I <laughs> get it straight. I don't
0: have to want one. I have right. one.
2: Right. She's I badass already. Okay. <laughs> <that's,
0: I> really <laughs> got that answer. That's the best answer I've ever heard. What do you mean want
1: one? I have one.
2: Right. What I am this? a superhero.
0: Whatever. I
1: have a superpower and uh, I didn't realize what a gift I ha- of it that I had until I could run into and un- un- see some of the things I see. <laughs>
0: you saw other people and you're like, wait, you can't fly? I thought everybody can fly. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Only I
1: can fly. Wow. Exactly. I mean, that's sometimes I'm like, really? And, uh, and, um, yeah. I have learned that not to be, not to uh, act shocked or amazed, because then that that doesn't make the other person feel good. But <laughs> wow, <you're laughs> I mean, what do you mean you can't That's fly? <laughs> <laughs> Poor but, you, boy, boy. I do think um, the other thing that that I guess I was uh, in that my thought there in that part of the conversation is about chasing shiny toys. Uh, I think one of the things that affects marketing's influence and credibility is our tendency to chase a shiny toy. Whether you know and. Let's face it. We've been chasing shiny toys a long time, whether we started chasing websites. I think we think websites, they're going to make it
0: easier, though. We think, like, oh, here's this thing that's going to make my life easier. They told me so. Like, i, I got to get this. I'm pretty said- sure
1: that's how
2: every tool yeah. for marketing markets themselves, ever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, let, well, let's just kind of peel, peel back history, right? Um, we can remember one website when having a URL on a website was a pretty big deal, and we're still mm. conquering websites today, and then websites have been around since the 90s. Um you know, and email. I mean, just again, how being able to be effective at using email and all the things that go with email. Uh, now we're you know, we're chasing mobile, we're chasing we ch- we've chased gosh, you just name all the things that we've social media. Gosh, I was thinking about all, all the tools that come from
0: social
1: media, yeah. Mo- so mobile and social media and, and before long we're gonna be chasing and now we're chasing ABM. Which, by the way, is a repeat because we were doing ABM. Just name something different.
0: Yeah. Well, I think now the technologies, that's one area where I look at the technologies and say they've actually enabled this. Because you can measure so much more marketing now that you can really do – you can measure it. And I think for you, I thought you were going to say you found a measuring tape in me because from what I know of you, you love measuring things. And, uh, you know, ABM – it's, you had account-based sales before because you can measure sales. That's just the dollar amount that comes in the door. But now with marketing, we can measure everything. So it's like, oh, great, we can actually push this back. And a lot of companies I've heard are actually um, commissioning their marketing staff because now there's something to give commissions on. They can, they can measure things backward.
2: Well, I think it's more than just measurement that it, the technology is allowed for ABM. I think it's also the personalization that really um, is. that We have the ability to segment our lists. We have the ability to, you know, I guess
0: um, things, yeah. through the
2: CRMs, uh, we have the ability to really personalize. And I think anyway, that those people,
0: Sorry. Anyway,
1: continue. Uh,
0: you were talking about the shiny, uh, shiny tools.
1: Well, no, I, I'm just saying. I do. I think that that you're exactly right the tools that we have today are enabling abm or what we did in the 80s are enabling us to be able to do it in such a superior way it is really remarkable but the point i'm making is abm is kind of a toy a, a, a shiny toy right and that yeah. we're chasing and, and what's on the horizon you know ai machine learning i mean we have so many things that the point i'm trying to make i think is that all those things are great but the C-suite has some basic expectations of marketing, very, very basic mm-hmm. expectations of marketing, and that is to create value for the organization, uh, be able to move the business needles, whatever those needles are, to help the company be successful and produce results. So this goes back to the comment about measuring. It isn't so much about measuring. It's so much it is about producing results for the company and being able to show right. what we did to help the company um, create value for customers and create value for shareholders.
2: So I have a question for you on that. I kind of see the, in measurement, I kind of see two different sets. And while they do overlap, I think in my head and in a lot of marketers' heads, there's the set of uh, numbers that you do show to the C-suite that's like, hey, I'm justifying my job. I'm justifying the position. I'm justifying all of the budget we have for this. And then there's also, and of course, hopefully that's, taken from the, the the other set of numbers. But then there's also this other set of numbers that is measuring uh, what's going on in order for me to do uh, – the, the, the numbers that are helpful for me to see what's going on, which is maybe a little bit different than the numbers that the C-Speed is seeing. They're just – obviously, you know, we don't want to show – the see, suite absolutely everything because they don't have time for that. But also I feel like there's a little bit of a difference. Like I talked to other um, you know, younger consultants and, and people who are really just starting in their jobs where their jobs are on the line as to whether or not they're performing. And so teaching um, other marketers how to prove that they're actually valuable is different than the numbers that we use to see what's going on. Do you want to talk about that?
1: <laughs> what, do you think that's true? <laughs> so, first of all, before we do that, let's just be sure we're clear on terms. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, it's easy to get some terms kind of uh, used interchangeably. So I always okay. like to com- uh, differentiate between the terms data, measure, and metric. Okay. All right. So data is just pieces of information. You know, a zip code is okay. a piece of data. The color of someone's eyes right. is a piece of data. Um, how tall someone is, how much money they earn, kind of, you what know, kind of education they have. This is all data. Mm-hmm. And we use various ways of data, whether that's data that is structured or data that is unstructured, but, um, to help give us insights uh, into markets, into customers, you know, whether that's persona development or customer buying journey, mapping, customer experience. We use Data to give us insights into what's going on with customers, products, markets, and competitors, right? And that okay. use that data to help us m- make good, sound uh, business decisions. Then there's right. m- measures, which are some kind of quality or quantity. They are t- they are a form of data. So how tall someone is is a measure, uh, right? Uh In and of itself, it doesn't really tell us anything. It's just a piece of information, but it is measured. Okay? Okay. A metric is something that will allow us to use it to determine whether or not we are in an acceptable range of performance. Okay.
0: It's kind of like a benchmark. uh... It
1: could be a benchmark, key performance indicators. Uh, there are metrics that aren't. Some metrics might not be a, a bench, uh, a key KPI. All KPIs are a metric. Okay. And so, what's important here, and, and we have a, a blog post on our website on uh, understanding the differences in these terms and, and what they mean and the implications. So, when we are in marketing, thinking big marketing, which is what I like to talk about, a capital marketing, marketing that is strategic, mm-hmm. we need measures and metrics. That, and data so that we can help the organization make better decisions to understand what is and isn't working to be able to react to changes in the changes right out there in the marketplace or among customers um, and, and mitigate risk. That's what we're trying to do with, uh, when we put together a for example a marketing dashboard and that dashboard should be reflective of what it is the company is trying to achieve, and then how marketing is contributing hopefully is contributing to what degree marketing is contributing to achieving what those outcomes right it isn't so much about justifying what we do in marketing because we we if we're doing our job well and we are connected and aligned to the business then it isn't really about justifying it's about enabling I completely agree. Like I feel like I'm super lucky in
2: uh, working here at Mountaintop Data that I don't feel like I have to prove myself constantly, but I do know that other that's not necessarily <laughs> this guy's looking at me like, "Ah, that's not true." Um, <laughs> no, he's joking. Um but uh but I I feel like that's not necessarily true and that sometimes the, the alignment is a two-sided street and so not only does marketing have to be aligned to the business, but the business also has to be willing and excited about the marketing. Does that make any sense? And so if they're not and there's constantly this pushback, then…
1: Maybe I mean, I maybe the there is some need
0: for, for that. Right, right. exactly, say, exactly. Hey, that's we, why
1: marketing needs numbers, to be in the room. <laughs> guys, yeah. Right,
2: precisely. And or when you're very young in your career and you need those metrics to be able to say, hey, um, I am actually good at my job.
0: You so know? maybe if your C- C-suite is leading you out of uh, critical meetings and then just saying you're not hitting these particular numbers, you might want right. to start looking for a new job. <laughs> well <laughs> maybe that's not the place you want to work at. yeah
1: yeah it's not you know again i was really really fortunate to work in a company even though in some ways it was a product-centric company right i mean it's an mm-hmm. engineering company that we build cool stuff if we build really cool stuff you know they will come that's that's the epitome you know of, of a product-centric company but we weren't but right we, but when we look if you look back most of the products we were building were to meet customer requirements. So even though we said it was product-centric, mm-hmm. it was a really very much a customer market-centric company. But they missed the mark, obviously, because it is where it is today. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah.
0: They had a long, good run. It was an amazing <laughs>
1: run, and we, yeah. we will save the conversation about, you know, the trials uh, and challenges all companies face, right, as they, when they reach that place.
0: I would love to talk about that. There's something I want to talk about right now. I've been dying to pick your brain on this. I know that you are a bit of an expert in dashboards, and I want to know what are the numbers you can tell people, like, here's what you should definitely have on your dashboard or here's how you should structure your dashboard. When it comes to marketing, B2B, KPIs, what do people need to have in there?
1: That is a great question, and we have slews and slews of dashboard articles, and I love... Constructing dashboards. Uh, I would say that um, next to my other superpower, I have uh, (laughs) – I would call this a superpower, but I would say that I, I and this company, we are really superb dashboard architects. Hmm. And uh, that's it. Uh,
0: I think at the end of this we're going to have a full picture of your superhero. Yeah, look, right. And, I
1: wouldn't like, call all that a of superpower. Your
0: personality characteristics. We're going to
2: grab our graphic designer and we're going to have her make a rendering <laughs> of
1: <laughs> you with a case. This is, uh, this 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 is, is not personality. a superpower. This
0: is a characteristics. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I wouldn't say this is a superpower. I think this is just a reflection of expertise and experience and um, passion. Um, it's not a superpower, but it is something we we thrive at, uh, thrive, thrive at doing.
0: Do you have like a top three or top five things Dashboards. that should be in every yeah. dashboard? So, so
1: marketing plans, because you can't have a good dashboard if you don't have a good marketing plan. You can't have a good marketing plan that isn't aligned and doesn't have performance targets and have the right measures. That's number one. Number two, got to have good metrics chains. You can't get to a dashboard without a metrics chain. With the, um, that's sort of my superpower. That's where the, I talked about the alignment. That really is the, my superpower. And um, and then using data uh, and processes uh, to help the organization be um, more effective and efficient, so marketing ops, uh, kinds of related things. And then lastly, our roots are all in data, right? Helping our customers make good decisions about customers, markets, products.
0: You've got all that stuff down, and now you have your – Marketing superhero vehicle. We do. You got to put a dashboard in. So,
1: yeah, exactly. What are the
0: readouts going to be? And we're
1: very clear about what we don't do, Sky. So, don't, if you, you know, if anyone wants to talk about the shade of blue and their logo, please don't call me. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: I am okay, not. Okay, I'll cross right that person.
0: out. I'll cross that out. I am
1: not the right person for that. Um, but anyway, uh, and, and uh, back to um, dashboards. So, I, we get this question all the time what should be on my dashboard? And people think it's a ma- some set of magic numbers. I will say that there's no magic numbers because it's going I'm I'm they hate me to say it kind of depends. Uh, but here are ha-
0: magic numbers. I know, but, but I will tell <laughs> I was you really there, hoping. but I will tell
1: you there are magic categories. Uh-huh. All right. So a good solid marketing dashboard that you're going to be presenting to your leadership team once you have your plan and your performance targets aligned to the business outcomes, somehow or another has to be has to capture these categories. So think about your dashboard in your vehicle for those of us who have cars still, right? We have various things on our dashboard. And we have the part that tells us how fast we're going, the part that tells us how much fuel we're consuming, something that tells us about the state of our engine, right? There's just different parts on the on the dashboard, right? Well, we need some similar kinds of, of categories on the marketing dashboard. So think about our job, our job is to find, keep, and grow the value of customers. So we need categories around finding, keeping, and growing. So there's there's something. We are supposed to... I'm going to quote
0: you on that. I like that one. Find, keep, and grow the value me. of
1: customers. That's, that that <laughs> belongs to Phil <laughs> Kotler. Phil Kotler okay. the father of modern marketing, in my opinion. Um, that's, that's what he says is the responsibility of marketing. Create value by finding, keeping, and growing the value of customers. Um, so th- three categories there. Now, we have to put do something i mean customers buy something from us right we have a value proposition so whether that's a product a solution a service we need to have some category around our offer it's the adoption rate of our offer the uh, usage rate the innovation right and we don't exist in a in a vacuum most of us have competitors so we we need something around a category around where how we're stacking up against, against the competition whether that's category ownership or rate of growth in the category or rate of growth com- compared to the competitors or brand preference compared to competitors, right? It could be any number of things. So that's going to go in a category. So now we've done competition. We've done our offer. We've done fine, keep, and grow around customers. And we need something around the money. I mean, we are uh, managing the company and investing the company's money, And they want to know what they're getting for it. And so we need to have some kind of category around the money, somewhere in there. And not just maybe money, but resources, you know, our productivity or or operational kinds of things that need to be there. You know, are all systems firing?
0: So would that be like a sales directly from marketing or a marketing ROI or? That
1: would be in the money. That would be in the money category.
0: Okay. Can you give some examples in the other categories of like specific numbers that people might be looking at uh, that would show those?
1: Under the keeping customers, you might have something related to either customer churn, customer retention. Uh, you might have uh, something related to – those would be the most common ones, clearly. Uh,
2: Maybe repeat business.
1: Uh, I was going to put that in grow. So repeat business in oh, okay. Grow, I might put lifetime value, share of wallet, um, might also put your customer advocacy, customer referral, power rating, things like that, that might go there.
0: So no pressure, Laura, but I'm picturing everyone listening to this is standing in front of a whiteboard, like t- diagramming this out right now.
1: That's because he's watching
2: Wait, me they're, diagram they're, it they're, out they're,
1: right they're, now. They're going to do that. They need to call <laughs> us. We're not trying <laughs> to get this <laughs> sauce away here. Um, So obviously around finding is, you know, uh, opportunity, uh, number of opportunities generated, influence to the pipeline, pipeline contribution. There could be any number of metrics there, right? Is that helpful? Yeah, definitely. Now, obviously, it's going to be layered. Uh, There's going to be things underneath each one of those as you look at the various initiatives, uh, you know, campaigns, programs, whatever you're putting in place. Um, So – that's going to go in there. Back over on the money side, you're probably going to want to look at things like cost to acquire, cost to retain, cost to serve. Uh, if you're looking at sales, you know you might want to look at conversion rate, data, uh, or velocity. You know, uh, Win rate would go uh, under uh, finding the win rate. So there's so
0: your dashboards aren't like a race car with three dials. You'd be like an airplane cockpit. You really yeah. look like at a lot of things.
1: I think it depends on the size of your company and where you – this the maturity of the company, right? So, mm. you, you know, we're working with a customer and we're building building out a model. And, and one of the things that we were, which I shared with them, that's kind of become a motto. I, I hope they make a t-shirt. If they're listening, they'll know who they are. Uh, nah. And, and it, when we were talking about, you know, making a model of the universe, if you look at Aristotle's model of the universe, it's very simple. And if you look at NASA's model of the universe, it's become quite complex, right? So Aristotle first, NASA later. <laughs> right, right. So you yeah, right.
0: start out with the Earth in the middle and then put your...
1: <laughs> well, well, Aristotle actually said the sun was in the middle and we yeah, all the rotate sun around. In the ah,
0: I was hoping I got that right. Now I'm going to be embarrassed.
1: That's okay. But the point I was trying to make is... You know, it's an iterative process. I mean, think back to what websites were like in the early days and what they, you know, what they were like today. So, you know, everything will come in time, but maybe just need to start somewhere. So I'll go back to Motorola for a quick moment. Uh, My first experience at making a real marketing dashboard came at Motorola, and we probably don't have time for me to, to tell the story that so many folks have heard about the conversation with Gary Daniels uh, in when he asked me to make like, the first marketing dashboard, but it, it, what he wanted was uh, what's known as a six-up chart. He wanted six charts all on a single at that time what we called foil um, overhead uh, piece of plastic right for presentation of ops reviews. That's what he wanted. Oh, like overhead
0: projector back in the day. Yes, you been, you yes, yes dating
1: myself and back. Yes, yeah. where every room had a three M projector in it. Um, overhead projector. But the point, of, the point being, we started small, and, and then as we got more sophisticated, you know, the the dashboard can become more sophisticated. I think it's important not to get too ahead of where the organization is at, the, you know, is. So you know, just like right. any journey, start. Where so you one
0: company off. might have a Cessna, you know, kind of a dials and everything, and no. another might be a seven forty seven. But you have to have the right stuff for your size of company, kind of.
1: Yes, and we're not, maybe not even size, because I've seen some pretty sophisticated dashboards from small companies. It's just maybe maturity, data maturity, um, measurement maturity, process uh, capabilities, though, analytics capabilities. So I've seen some mid-sized enterprises who are extraordinary at what they're able to do in a dashboard compared to some ex- very large companies with immense resources and, and how that much they're struggling
2: well, in some ways, that makes sense. Okay, so I have a question for you. There are certain things that you're putting under "find, keep, and grow" that I'm might put other places. So, what I would love is maybe some definitions for "find, keep, and grow" because I feel like I'm swimming a little bit, and maybe um, you know, when I'm thinking through these categories, you're putting things in different categories than I would. So, so what is your definition? Laura, for these? Do
0: you want to maybe tease people with that? And you could uh, put your definitions of fine keep, and grow" out on uh, out on Twitter or something like that.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I can do that. And you know, I want to. While I am delighted to um, offer up my definition, I do think that there are some uh, experts, well-known and well-regarded people, who have been writing about this and teaching about this. And uh, so I may I may uh, include some of their definitions and that be great. in marketing who has didn't read, you know, hasn't read a book by Kotler. Uh, really should, you know, find a way to get their hands on a copy of one of Kotler's books. I, I I read his 1999 book Kotler on Marketing, but there are others. Um, but get one of his books and it'd be like trying to do strategy and never read Michael Porter, right?
0: So you read his book in 99, you said I'm starting a company.
1: Yeah. I I read his book uh, in when it first came out. I'd already started the company, but I thought, wow, I really like the way he's framed this. And so that was helpful. Um, I just read a book uh, over the holidays last, last season that I was like, wow, I, sh- I wish I'd read this You know, w- when it came out. And it was uh, Gary Keller's The One Thing. Have you read that one?
2: I have not. Tell me a little bit about Audit.
1: Well, it. Well, it's essentially our whole approach. Message, yeah, It's pretty much our the way we help our customers design their marketing plans. And uh, we've used, uh, you know, our, our approach is very much reflected in what uh, Simon does around the why, the golden circle. Um, we, we built our whole approach. In the middle
0: of reading that one right now, yeah. It's crazy yeah. to read these books. I read one recently, and I said, why didn't I read this 10 years ago? It would have saved me so much heartache. Like, how come I didn't find this sooner? It's uh, the, the whole, like... Read everything you can. think can't be, cannot be overstated. I think.
1: Well, when I re- read these books, sometimes I'm thinking to myself, "Wow, I feel so validated."
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then, but you also think, "But I had to struggle through and figure this out right. myself." Right. Like, and, yeah,
1: and I wish, I had been the one who so wrote much
0: it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. I reinvented the wheel, and I could have just read this 15 years ago, and
1: <laughs> yes, I, I absolutely. Yeah. Although we were doing the work, I mean, the work that we do, we was happening in parallel with the work that Gary Keller was doing. So it just was mm-hmm. of an affirmation. I was like, You're oh, like, awesome. I'm
2: a genius. Yeah. Oh, okay. You some of
0: that that <laughs> validation Where you say, I've been thinking this and I see other people. i I'm not, crazy. Right. I'm it's not right. crazy. It's right.
1: That's why I said. It's one of the things than
0: we like to ask people, yeah, our recommendations for books. So It's great. You jump straight into it. Yeah, like, here's, you got to read this. Got to read this. And then I always make sure if I haven't read them, I got to run out and do it. Yeah. Do you
2: have any? Um, you learn is amazing. Do you have any other resources that you want to add on top of that? Obviously, your website is going to be a great resource, and we'll talk about that. Do you have any just last resources for our listeners?
1: So I I like uh, to to grab a book uh, you know that I can use with cu- customers. Again, if people haven't read uh, the Ocean Strategy, I do recommend that. If you you know read um, read Porter first, and another book that I also like to recommend is um, Necessary Endings. Have you ever read that one? No. It's on strategy, and I I really recommend that book. It's called Necessary Endings. That sounds. I love that. You're adding a lot
0: to our reading list. Yeah.
1: I'm going to stay away from all the social media, ABM, artificial intelligence books because there are so many of those, and lots and lots of really good people writing about that.
0: And by the time you finish reading those, they're no longer relevant, <laughs> right?
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I do think necessary endings, you know, I, and that's a good point, Sky. I really like to find books that I think have legs that aren't just about the, the current fad, right? Not what, what's in season. This here's what google filter will do to
0: you here's how to work against it it's like they're gonna change that every 12 hours though Mm -hmm. yeah
1: i i also um on a personal side the one thing kind of falls on the personal side i also like discover your strengths if uh people are looking at that that that's that's a good book
2: that's awesome. Are you awesome. familiar with that one? I am familiar with uh, some of the writings and the concept, though I have not actually read it. But I, I think I've actually done some of the – are there exercises in it? I feel like I've actually done some of the exercises out of it.
1: Um, I don't remember about the exercises, but we have all our people take the Discover Your Strengths uh, test as a way to help us understand where they really are strong and how to best utilize those strengths uh, and, and then what – where you know what do we need to shore up? Who else needs to be on the team to make sure that they are successful?
2: Oh, neat. That's not. Is that the four quadrants
1: test? It's not. You're, I think you okay. might be thinking Myers Briggs. No, um, no, that's, no, that's no, different. There's so many. Tests so I out do out love Myers Briggs. We're going to take
0: all these anyway, you recommend Yeah, we're gonna... put them in our show notes for sure. These for sure. Seems to be an encyclopedia of what to read. Uh, for marketing
2: yeah and if you have any more that you want to put up we will also add those later to the show notes as well Um, but i think we're out of time right now to talk about any more unfortunately
0: so we are really running out of time here laura is there anything else that you want to uh, throw out there for people um before we wrap things up any other advice anything like that anything we haven't quite covered
1: i have one last piece of advice for people listening Uh, For marketers especially. We, as marketers, it's very easy for us to uh, quickly succumb to speaking the language of marketing. And for those marketers who really want to uh, step up their game and be taken seriously and build their influence and credibility, in addition to understanding what to measure, how to measure all that, speak the language of business. This would be my, my parting advice. Learn to speak in the language of business because that's what the C suite talks in,
2: which is different than the language of marketing. All
0: right. Yeah. Excellent.
2: Thank you. All right, you. everyone.
0: Uh, we've been talking with uh, Laura Patterson, president of Vision Edge Marketing. Um, if you want to find her online, one place I really recommend lots of good content on the Vision Edge Marketing uh, Twitter feed, it's, which is at Laura V E M, L A U R A V E M for their Twitter. You can also find her on uh, LinkedIn. Um, I don't know, Just put in Laura Patterson's name and you'll find her. She's at Vision Edge Marketing. I'm not going to read you the whole link. It's
2: Laura Patterson Vem.
0: Laura Patterson Vem. Okay, where there's that, yeah. <laughs> and then um, also the Vision Edge Marketing website, uh, visionedgemarketing.com. One thing we haven't really thrown in here yet, Laura, can you tell people just a quick blurb about what you guys do at Vision Edge Marketing? And I'm sure it's what we've been talking about this whole time, but kind of a an elevator pitch uh, even for yes. for your company, what you guys do?
1: I like to say that we help companies use actionable insights to prove and improve business and marketing performance. Awesome.
2: That is so succinct and so lovely. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for being on with us, Laura. Um, listeners, you can find the show notes and uh, the books that Laura has been referencing and uh, link to their blog, all on our show notes on the elephant test. I'm sorry. elephanttest.com. There's no the, um, I like to add a
0: the We talked to Facebook. They said, take off the the.
2: right? <laughs>
1: and, um, thanks for listening. Thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure. Thank you all again, right.
2: Laura. Laura. Talk to
0: you
2: later. Until next time.
0: A quick word from our sponsor.
2: Effective marketing starts with good data. At Mountaintop Data, we are experts at developing and maintaining high-quality marketing lists. With tens of millions of highly accurate records and more data being added daily, we're sure to have the contacts you need to be in front of. Learn more at mountaintopdata.com.
0: Hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Elephant Test. Check out the show notes at elephanttest.com. Thank you so much for listening from all of us here at The Elephant Test. Until next time.
2: This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business
1: podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.